0: Hello and welcome to the Good Old Days of Radio Show. This is John Tefteller, your host. It's Thursday, and Thursday we are doing our uh, salute to the the great radio writer, Miss Lucille Fletcher. We've done two programs so far. This is program number three. Today we're going to listen to an episode of the Columbia Workshop from October 19th, 1942. It's called Remodeled Brownstone and stars Martin Gable. For those of you who don't live on the East Coast, a brownstone is a house. (laughs) There are a lot of them in Brooklyn and places like that. So uh, Don Ramlow, welcome back to the good old days of radio show. After today, we've got seven more to go. But today, the remodeled brownstone. What do you know about this one in relation to Lucille Fletcher or anything else you can tell us?
1: Well, I think in this particular story, it's a a common theme about what happens when somebody moves into a home they're not familiar with, in this case, a brownstone. And it's, I think, one of uh, Lucille's earlier efforts in creating what I kind of consider a ghost
0: story. Aha, so good. We're along the theme of creepy and weird and ghosts again, so... (laughs) Okay, yep. we we only had one diversion there with my client Curly a few weeks ago, but that was a great diversion. So I'm, I'm happy to do it. All right, so this is a, uh, a kind of a ghost story. Is it um, since you've heard it and I haven't? Is it along the line of uh, lights out or um, anything that we could? To who those of us who listen to radio anything we would associate it ah. with anything like that?
1: When I heard this show. I thought of it, reminded me a little bit like of The Mysterious Traveler and Quiet, Please. Oh, good. (laughs) Uh, The the shows that really kind of draw you in what's going on. I think it has a little bit of the uh, intensity, though not a lot, certainly, but a little bit of the intensity on the part of the actress uh, giving a little bit of Agnes Moorhead vibes, if you will, you know, in this. So, yeah, I think it's a great script, uh, and I think people are going to enjoy this. Uh, particular story.
0: Okay, well this in the chronological uh, work, uh, this comes just after The Hitchhiker, and I would uh, remind our listeners that if you haven't heard the suspense version of The Hitchhiker, we're not featuring it as part of this series. We would have if we hadn't played it before, but I invite you to go dig back into the archives of the good old days of radio show, and look up Suspense the Hitchhiker and give that a listen. That is one incredible script, and this one comes shortly after that. This is October 19th, 1942. The Hitchhiker was, I think, September 2nd or so of 1942. So here we go with um, Remodeled Brownstone
2: The Columbia Workshop. Lullaby. the columbia workshop presents a new radio play by lucille fletcher called remodel brownstone
3: sit down gentlemen you're experts in matters of the mind and i hope you'll understand when i tell you that this house has nothing to do with my wife's terrible condition this is a brownstone house gentlemen and i know that there are people queer people who say that new york brownstone houses are haunted. I have one friend who insists he wouldn't live in a brownstone house for a million dollars. My wife Clara used to say that too, but I convinced her differently. This is a brownstone, I admit, but it's been thoroughly remodeled from top to bottom. It has new floors, new plumbing, a new heating system, an entirely different arrangement of rooms. All it retains of the old Victorian house is the distinction, the charm. And don't you find brownstones charming, gentlemen, I do. I've loved them as a boy, and I shall love them till the day I die. To wander through these quiet New York streets, see them standing there, so gracious, so dignified, to see the sunset turning their facades to a mellow, reddish color, to see the light of some occasional sidewalk maple flickering across their high stoops and old railings, that is what I consider a real treat. Years ago, as a young man, I made up my mind that if I ever became rich... I would own one. And I may say in all modesty, gentlemen, that that dream has actually come true. (sighs) Only one thing has spoiled the pleasure of owning it. And that is the unreasonable malady, the strange hysterical delusion of my wife. It's darkened these lovely rooms for me until I can no longer enjoy them. It's filled these walls with ghosts. Until now... I dread opening the front door. I dread coming home. Perhaps I should begin from the beginning. That'll be 75 cents, mister. 75? Uh, yep. Please take 85 out of the dollar. Thank you. Well, 126. Looks as though this was well,
4: it I don't think so, Alice.
3: 126. Isn't that the address the agent gave you?
4: Yes, but... It's so old-looking. It's positively ancient, Alex. Look at that crumbling stoop and the windows and that little gate leading down into the basement. I'm sure nobody's lived in it for years.
3: Well, we'll see. Here's the Holmes Agency man to open her up.
4: Alex, it really isn't what I had in mind at all.
3: Well, well, good afternoon. Good afternoon. You're from the Holmes Agency. That's right. Did I keep you waiting? No, no, we just got here. Can we go in now? We certainly can. It'll be quite a place. But the whole thing's empty now. Empty the kettle, and uh, here so we are. Oh, come on in, dear.
4: It's so dark and musty. We don't suppose there are any rats.
3: Rats? What would rats want with an empty house?
4: It's been empty a long, long time, hasn't it?
3: Uh, seven or eight years, lady. Seven or eight years. Yes, they tell me it's a good buy for anybody who wants to spend a little money on it and fix it up. That's just what we do want to do, fix it up, you know. Completely. Remodel it, new floors, new plumbing, new fixtures, paint. You see, dear? Here's the kitchen. Looking out into the garden. Oh, it's horrible. Well, certainly, darling. All these old Victorian kitchens are mighty dismal places. Wait till we get those bars down from the windows, the walls, tiled, and a nice new electric stove.
4: Mm, uh, I can almost smell those meals, those big, heavy Victorian dinners. Come on.
3: Come upstairs and see the drawing room. They tell me the marble fireplaces in this house are magnificent. We went all over it that day. It were barn of a place then. The stairs were dusty, the drawing room was as big as a barracks, with a tarnished pier glass at one end. The back parlor was gloomy with faded brown linen cruster and stained-glass windows. On the third floor, the floors of the big gaunt bedrooms creaked and groaned under our feet, and the old bathrooms were dingy without moated plumbing. But I could see the possibilities. I could see them growing even as we climbed the last flight of stairs to the very top story of the house. An ugly, low-ceilinged place divided into many little rooms. Stairs get you down a bit, don't they? And you're not used to climbing. <laughs> Otherwise, it's quite a buy for the money, don't you think so, dear?
5: Alex,
4: what were all these rooms used for?
3: Uh, these little rooms, why... Uh, this was the nursery up here, ma'am. You know, uh, where they kept the children. <laughs> the
4: children? You mean they made the children stay up here all by themselves or far away from the rest of the house?
3: Yes, yes. Funny people in the old days. Now my kids play all over the flat.
4: Poor little things. They cried, nobody could hear them. You're up here all alone. Oh,
3: come, dear. Don't get sentimental about it. The nurses were up here with him, you know. Rich mothers never looked after their own children. Anyway, what are you worrying about children's rooms for? That's one problem that won't bother us. No. floor like this would make an ideal game room. Or a billiard room. One thing I've always wanted to have is a billiard room. We could tear down all these walls and make one grand big room of the whole thing. We could have a ping-pong table, too, and a bar. Oh,
4: no, Alex, not a bar. Why not?
3: What's the matter with the bar all of a sudden?
4: The, the children's rooms, Alex. You couldn't make the little children's rooms into a bar.
3: Nonsense. The children who lived here are dead and gone long ago. You wait and see how it looks when it's done. Modernist. Lots of chrome and indirect lighting and broad loom on the floors. And maybe over there in that part, a big K-part. Oh, you'll love it yourself when it's done.
4: Oh, Alex, you're really planning things, aren't you? You do like this dreadful house.
3: It's not dreadful, my dear. It looks pretty dreary now, of course, on the surface. But wait till Hodgkin gets busy. You'll never know it was the same place.
4: Even if we're altogether different, I'd, I'd feel it was always like this. I'd be thinking of, of those sad little rooms and the lonely dead children. Oh, Alex, please listen to me. Dust this once, you can't go tampering with a place like this. Why well, it's been like this for 50 years. It's like... like desecrating a person. Oh, no,
3: Clara, take it easy. We won't do anything to the house you don't approve of. You can tell the architect anything you want. In the end, she didn't want to change anything. She didn't make any suggestions. She just let me go ahead and do anything with the house I wanted. That's why I say I don't see how anybody could blame her condition on the house itself. Because, you see, it isn't an old house anymore. Look at this room. This room was once the drawing room and dining room and back parlor. Would you ever believe it? And in a few moments, I'll show you the billiard room on the fourth floor. The beautiful, modern room I dreamed about that day. Do you feel queer here? Nobody who's ever come here has ever felt anything but cheerful and modern and 20th century. Nobody has ever felt or heard anything. Except her. Almost eleven. Well, it certainly has been a busy day. But worth it, worth every bit of it. To be settled at last.
6: Yes.
3: You tired, dear? No. You ought to be unpacking all that china and those linens. I don't see why you didn't let Madeline do it for you.
4: I guess I am tired. Somehow I can't seem to drop off.
3: On a sleeping tablet?
4: No. Somehow I just... Just seem to keep hearing things. What things? Oh, just things. There it goes again. Did you hear it just now? No, what is it? I've been hearing it for the past half hour. And it's quite plain. Oh,
3: Clara, for heaven's sake. Don't be so nervous.
4: Come back. We'll come back in a couple of seconds. Across the floor.
6: What the Hush.
4: There. There it is. Did you hear it then? Nothing. You didn't hear it. Across the floor upstairs. The kind of quick scurrying patter.
3: No. But if anything, it's probably a mouse. No,
4: Alex. It was much too loud for a mouse.
3: All right. Maybe it's a rat, then. After all, we've just moved in, and you can't expect the place to be perfect. I'll call up the exterminators in the morning.
6: Alex. Alex, wake up. Hmm.
3: Yes, darling. What's the matter?
4: Alex, I... I just heard it again.
3: Well, heard what?
4: The, the scurrying sound upstairs on the fourth floor.
3: Oh, the devil am I going to hear the thing right now. I told you I'd get the exterminators.
4: The exterminators were here this morning. And, Alex, it's not a rat, I'm sure of it. I've been listening to it here in the dark. And I've heard it several times and it doesn't sound like a rat at all. Oh,
3: what else could it be? There's nobody up there. I don't
4: know, but, Alex, it, it's too loud for a rat. Too distinct. It's more like footsteps.
3: Footsteps?
4: Like tiny little footsteps hurrying and hurrying very fast across the floor. Across the nursery floor, Alex. Oh, go on, It's like the footsteps of a child, a restless little child. Oh, Alex, I can't be fooled. Do you remember that apartment we used to have on Park Avenue just underneath the family that had the little child? Do you remember how we used to hear his footsteps running across the floor? across our ceiling all day long until they they put him to bed. Well, that's the same sound up there now.
3: Now, darling, how could a little child be running around up there when it's dark, when there's nothing up there but a nice, big, modernistic billiard room? You're tired and nervous. You just lie there listening till the creak of a floorboard sounds as loud as a pistol shot. But
4: I hear it. I hear it over and over again, as plain as day.
3: Well... I suppose I'll have to go up there sooner or later and take a look around.
4: Oh, no, no, don't go. Oh, no, don't worry.
3: I'm not afraid. There's nothing in this world that can bother me.
4: Oh, no, I didn't mean that. I, I meant just to to leave him alone. Him? Oh, I know it probably sounds silly, but... Oh, Alex, he's been disturbed enough. He's... Oh, just leave him alone.
3: Clara. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake, what are you talking about?
4: Oh, I don't know. I really don't know. But I have a feeling... You... Oh, Alex, let's leave this house. Let's get away from Leave
3: Peter. this house when we've only just moved in? Oh, yes. I have it. I know where it's coming from and what's causing it. It's from next door. The house next door. You know how closely these brownstone houses are connected. You know how sound travels at night. Now, couldn't it be possible if the people next door have a little child? Alex,
4: there isn't anybody living next door. house is empty. It has a for sale sign on the window.
3: Oh, well, that's on the Park Avenue side. The house toward Lexington Avenue has curtains up and awnings. Don't you remember?
4: I, I can't seem to remember just now.
3: Well, you look out the window in the morning or you might even telephone. Now, if you don't mind, I'm very tired.
5: Good night. Good night,
3: dear.
6: Hello?
4: Oh, hello. Uh, this is Mrs. Alexander Archer, the lady who lived next door. Yes, Mrs. Archer. We moved in a month or so ago. A-R-C-H-E-R. A as in apple, R as in... I beg your pardon, but could you tell me whether you have a little child? I said, do you by any chance have a little child? Is there a child living in... Child, C as in coffin, H as in...
3: (laughs) I began to catch her listening after that. Listening at night, listening at all times of the day. I would come home from the office at dusk to find her sitting in the living room with her knitting in her lap. All the lamps would be lit, the fine old English furniture would look so beautiful and luxurious in the light... But she would be sitting there like someone in a trance. She'd stop in the middle of a meal and start to run out into the hall. Clara, Clara, sit down. Where are you going? What will the servants think?
4: The servants hear it too, Alice, I know. Don't be ridiculous. Madeline's leaving tomorrow. She's given notice. She says it's the stairs that are killing her. But I know, I can see the look on her face. I've seen her listening in the pantry.
3: The pantry? I thought you said you only heard the sounds upstairs.
4: Not anymore. It's everywhere now, Alex. Everywhere, all over the house. Upstairs and down, and not just at night now, either. All day, too. As though he was seeing something, searching for something. Clara,
3: stop talking this nonsense now. Stop it, I say.
4: Well, sometimes I think he's lost. Everything has been changed around here, so even his little room is gone. And he's frightened. He can't find anything for million, so he keeps running and running. Now be quiet.
3: Clara, I'm going to get to the bottom of this thing once and for all. I want you to come upstairs with me now. Oh,
4: you'll never find it, Alex, never. Because he's not there. I've searched for him myself, and he's not there.
3: Pull yourself together, Clara. I want you to come upstairs with me now. Whatever it is, we're going to hunt for it and root it out now, forever.
4: No. Why? Because it's a ghost, Alex. It's a little frightened ghost. A ghost who used to live here in peace until we came. It's the ghost of a little dead child. And we have destroyed his home. Oh, I told you not to tear down the rooms, Alex, I told you. Now he'll never be at peace, never in all this world. Clara,
3: do you realize what nonsense you're talking? This is practically a brand new house. There's scarcely a stone of the old place still standing. That's
4: just it. That's a terrible thing. Alex. Alex, will you do me just one favor? What? Tear down the new billiard room and put back the old walls again. Give him back his little room. What? It's where the bar is now. That's where his room used to be. I know because he seems to stop there. His footsteps pause, and it's as though he was standing looking for a favorite corner, a place perhaps where his toys were kept. And one night I... I thought I heard him crying. Clara! If he could have his room back, his little room, then perhaps he'd stop searching. He'd lie down and go to sleep again. You
3: mean you actually want me to change everything around up there for this... Brainstorm, this sound I've never even heard. It's
4: not a whim. It's as real as... Alex, if it were a real child up there, if you knew it was a real child, lost and lonely in some way and imprisoned in this house, wouldn't your heart ache? Wouldn't you do anything for that helpless, bewildered little child? He hasn't anyone. He's utterly alone. And he doesn't know what's happened. He's not old enough to understand. He just keeps hunting and hunting for something familiar. Up and down the stairs and across the floors all day and all night long until his little legs
6: are tired out.
3: Darling. Come and sit down. You're shaking like a leaf. Okay, now close your eyes. I'll get you a glass of water.
4: Then you won't do it. You won't do anything to help him.
3: We'll see, dear. I'll have to think about it. After all, it's a big job. It would cost thousands of dollars. Oh. Meanwhile, I think you really ought to have a talk with Dr. Peabody. I'll call him in the morning. Hello? Oh, yes, Dr. Peabody, this is Mr. Archer. I've been waiting for your call. Yes? Yes? Well, that's very good. I'm glad to hear it's nothing serious. She's a nervous type, always has been. Imaginative, high-strung, and she... Yes, I've heard that, too. Well, of course, I never intended a humor in the notion myself. One can't. The house is finished completely. I... Yes, yeah, that's right. Well, I thought the same thing myself. No, we haven't used the room up there very much, not yet. Too busy at the office. Well, if you think it would take the curse off, I'd be glad to stay up there as much as I can. Clara? Oh, Clara?
6: Yes, sir?
4: Where are you? Down here in my
3: bedroom. Well, don't sit down there in the dark. Come on up and keep me company in the billiard room. It's nice and cheerful up here, darling. Clara? Clara, are you coming? Yes, darling. Well, isn't this fine? You see, I've got the whole place fixed up for you. What about a chair? A chair? Yes, sit down. What about that nice bamboo one over there? Like that? I had it sent up this morning, especially from Abernathy's. Goes well with the room, don't you think so?
4: I suppose so. Alex.
3: Oh, uh, that reminds me. What about a little good music? Turn on the radio, will you? Like good girl? The radio? Mm -hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. No, no, Alex.
3: What's the matter? Not in the mood for music tonight? It's...
4: It's too late to play the radio.
3: But Clara, it's only nine o'clock. Here.
4: Alex, Alex, I'm asking you just this one favor. Please, please don't turn it on.
3: Nonsense. It'll do you good. Cheer you up a little. There. That's more like it.
4: Alex, please, turn it off. It's too loud. It's not fair to him.
3: Him? I don't know anything about any him. Uh, Come on. How about a highball? Oh, I
4: knew it. I knew it would waken him. Oh, turn it off. Turn it off at once. Clara,
3: I forbid you to turn off that radio. Do you hear me? Now, once and for all, you must control yourself. Let
4: me go. He's stirring. He's awake. And when I worked so hard all afternoon to get him to sleep... He's staring. Oh, turn it off quickly. Alex, can't you hear him? i have your heart of stone. Turn
3: it off. Oh, all right. There, it's off. Does that satisfy you now?
4: No. No, he's awake now. There he goes back and forth, back and forth. Oh, darling, why did you waken? Why didn't you stay asleep? Yes, stay asleep so I, I could get some rest. Oh, blessed baby. Still, just for a moment. If I, if I sing to you, will you be still again? Still as you were this afternoon?
3: And so you see, gentlemen, the thing has progressed to a point where it's now utterly beyond my control. And frankly, life has become insupportable to me, gentlemen. I know now that her little delusion has grown into a form of madness. That's why I've called you here. Much as I hate the thought of your taking her it away... You must not regard
5: Dr. Keesler's treatment, Mr. Archer, as anything but beneficial and necessary. Uh, Dr. Keesler, don't you think that a few months of your treatment will restore to reasonable normality? Definitely, my dear Dr. Peabody. You see, Mr. Archer, it's quite simple. Your wife's malady is, in fact, rather common in psychoanalytical literature. She's suffering from what we Freudians call the idée fixe. It has no doubt arisen from some old frustration, the desire for a
3: child of her own. Yes, uh, Dr. Peabody's already explained the medical background. Well, uh, shall we go to a gentleman? Where's she now? Upstairs in the billiard room. She's almost always there now, sitting beside the crib. The... the crib? I sent for one yesterday at her request. She cried and pleaded so. I thought it best to humor her, at least until you began your treatment. Ah. Seemed quieter. Before that, I would find her holding out her arms like a cradle or trying to make up a little bed on the floor. Yes, well, that is quite interesting. Uh, Let us go to her now, please. All right, gentlemen. This way, please. Clara.
5: Open the door. Why did you not open it?
3: Locked. She must have found the key somewhere.
5: Clara. Do not frighten her. Speak to her quietly. Ask her to come out.
3: Very well. Clara. Clara, dear. I don't want to disturb you or wake up the baby. But there's someone here to see you. Someone who wants to help you and the baby. She doesn't answer. We'll have to break down
5: the door. There's no other key? No. Well, do not do anything drastic yet. The fear of capture may do more harm than good. Speak to her again. What shall I say? I feel like such a fool. Well, speak to her about the baby. Tell her the the baby is with you. That you have just heard his footsteps going down the stairs. Tell her that you have seen the baby in the garden a few moments ago, and that it was
3: crying for her. Oh, Clara? Clara, dear, uh, I've said all along that I never heard the footsteps. But, Clara, dear, just now, just a few moments ago, I heard him. I heard him going past me down these stairs. Go on. You can't keep him locked in there, you know, forever, Clara. He's only a child. He's young and active and he wants the sun and the air, the grass, the trees and the flowers. He wants to play. He never plays, does he? He never plays with you.
5: Good. Very good. Go
3: on. Why don't you come out now and go out a little, at least into the garden? He's already gone. I heard him go past me a few moments ago, toddling down these stairs. I heard him running down out of the dining room through the French doors. I heard him.
5: Getting up. Yes. Keep on. She will come out in a second or two.
3: I heard the sound of his laughter beside the garden pool. That's where he should be, Clara. Not in this house, this gloomy house where he's been so lonely and afraid, but out there, out in the sun under the blue sky. She's opening the window to look out. Did you hear that? Yes. It's coming now. It's
5: working out. In a few moments... (laughs) What was that? What, Mr. Archer? That loud, queer sound. Just now. Like laughter. Like the laughter of a child playing. I heard no sound, Mr. Archer. Did you hear sound, Doctor?
3: Uh, no. Now, don't tell me. You must have heard it. It was everywhere. Right next to my elbow, here in this hall and down those stairs. As though the walls and the ceiling... I you, Mr. Archer. Well, it does not matter. Uh, please go on. But it was so distinct. It was just as
5: though... Listen...
3: You don't suppose that Clara, that anything has happened to...
5: Clara! Shh, please, my dear Mr. Archer, please, please do not frighten her. A few moments
3: now. She doesn't answer me. Clara, answer me! What's the matter with you? Answer me! Clara! Clara! I don't like this. I don't like it at all. Mr. Archer... Give me a hand, one of you. We'll have to break down the door. Clara, answer me! Here, one of you, Dr. Peabody, help me. It's not a strong door. I'll put your weight against it. Now, don't just stand there. Mr. Archer... Come on, now, help Help Clara! Where is she? She was right here a minute ago. She was right here. I heard her open that window. Dr. Kiesler. Mr. Archer, I don't
5: think you'd better look out now. Your wife is in the garden.
2: The Columbia Workshop has brought you Remodeled Brownstone, a drama written for radio by Lucille Fletcher. The director was John Dietz. Featured in the cast were Martin Gable as Mr. Archer and Ann Elsner as Mrs. Archer. The current workshop productions are under the supervision of William Spear. With this production, the Columbia Workshop concludes its Monday schedule. The next workshop broadcast will be heard at 10 p.m. Eastern Wartime on Tuesday night, November 10th. Hitler and Hirohito are always listening. An unguarded word from you may sink a ship. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: Well, I'm glad to know Hitler may always be listening. That's that's comforting. Very good, very good writing, and yes, reminiscent of a Quiet Please broadcast, actually. The first half of that program... Obviously comes from a cracked glass disc because it kept thumping every time the needle rotated around the grooves and hit the crack. Uh, I guess we're lucky we have that one at all because that crack probably eventually broke off and who knows if that disc exists intact anymore, but somebody got a decent transfer out of it before it (laughs) probably went to dust. So glad we have it. Guest Don Ramlow, what do you have to say about that particular episode?
1: Well, again, I think it's a classic example of her writing uh, when she's working towards more of the horror format uh, in her writing, and it certainly draws you in, and it also kind of raises some questions at the end with, okay, what exactly happened? Is he now uh, hearing the ghost or not, or is he going mad? I think there's a lot of interesting things that you have to ponder when you you get to the end of that. I also think it's interesting to... uh, Uh, Note, too, that William Spear was associated with that particular production because certainly he went on to work with Lucille on a lot of other of her plays over the years.
0: Do we know, uh, somebody knows, if not you, do we know, anybody know, when William Spear first came on suspense uh, as the director?
1: Uh, He became involved uh, primarily after it moved out to... uh, California, because the first thirteen episodes or so were done uh, in uh, New York, and then it came. Then it was moved out to California at that time, and he came on board. I want to say uh, during that transition, okay, that was taking place at that time. So, so
0: still, yeah. Suspense, suspense started in the summer of 1942. This is October 1942. we so we're right about that same time period. Then, if the first if he came in after the first 13.
1: Right. And I would say yes. And uh, I would have to look at my notes because suspense ran for many years uh, to see exactly when that transition took place. But certainly he started doing a lot of work for CBS and uh, about the same time period, and this would be an example of that. And he was a fine director, no doubt about it.
0: Right. All right, one last question, and then we'll uh, call it quits for today and be back next week with some more great Lucille Fletcher stuff. Um, When you did interview and were around uh, Lucille Fletcher in her later years, did she or you or both of you talk about this particular broadcast at all?
1: No, she tended not to talk much about her Columbia broadcast shows, pretty much everything, at least with my conversations I had with her, were more either directly about Orson Welles and or her shows on suspense. And we did touch on a little bit later on of some of the stuff she had uh, go to film, because she also was involved with, you know, uh, a couple uh, film projects, not just, sorry, wrong number, but some other ones.
0: Well, I don't know what those were, and I guess you can tell us about those when we move on into the 1940s later on in her career. Okay, I'll I think just... That's the next... An idea. Just, just just was just curious, though, if she had ever referenced anything like this, because this was a, a really great, well-written show. Um, never heard it before. Glad to have heard it now. And I think that uh, the listeners will have really enjoyed this one today. So thanks so much for participating with me here on the Good Old Days of Radio show.
1: Sounds good, and I look forward to our future shows.
0: Yep, we have uh, seven more to go. Uh, and next week's is one of my big favorites. The next few actually are in my, my top, (laughs) top 10 great radio scripts. So, um, everybody stay tuned for those. Tell all your friends to listen to the good old days of radio show podcast. Check us out on Facebook, write us with questions or comments, and we will be back next week with special guest, Don Ramlow. And we will continue on the career of miss Lucille Fletcher, the great female radio writer of creepy stories. All right. Thanks, Don, and we'll see you all next week. ¶¶